I don't belittle miracles. God knows we could use some. A man getting his hand healing, healed. Someone receiving a sight when they're blind. But you know what the greatest miracle is? It's a repentant heart. The greatest miracle. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. The word is literally, it is the exertion of God's full might for salvation. God exerted his full might in saving you. That's how much he loves you. Is Edwin here today? All right. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what are your people? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is, it that, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. What's amazing about this is, Jonah wasn't unfamiliar with the voice of the Lord. It wasn't like Samuel, the first time he heard the word of the Lord, and he was confused on who was calling his name. No, Jonah knew the voice of the Lord. It wasn't like us. If we heard the voice of the Lord, I think we'd be terrified. 
I think we would really, really literally want to run and hide. No, Jonah was aware of who the Lord was, who the Lord is, and his voice. There's even a prophecy written down in 1 Kings that he prophesied about the boundaries of Israel being expanded. So Jonah has a history with the Lord. Now, there are two things you need to be aware of in a narrative. First, you must determine who the person represents. Is a, is a person an archetype of Christ, like Hosea? Or is a person a representation of Israel, mankind, like his wife, Gomer? What is extremely unique about this situation is Jonah represents both. He represents the archetype of Christ, albeit a poor one. The title of the sermon is, Run, Jonah, Run, a prophet in rebellion. But he's also a representation of us. The life of Jonah, we can see vividly how our righteousness is its filthy rags before the Lord. We can see how Jonah is supposed to be an archetype of Christ, portraying a savior, a deliverer, but he falls short. Now the second thing you got to do, and it's kind of hard, you got to do it today though. You always have to substitute your name in a narrative for the person being talked about. Of course, it's easy when you talk about Moses partying the Red Sea. And Chuck stood there and parted the Red Sea, right? <laughs> you, wanted, you want that one. Steve stood there and prayed, and the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Oh, but it's much harder to do when it's a rebellious prophet. But today, you got to do it with me, okay? So I'm going to try it. We're going to read verse 1 together, all right? Substitute your name everywhere you see Jonah and the pro down for Jonah. So let's try it. Now the word of the Lord came to Sean, I didn't hear anybody, son of Gisi. Everybody with me. Now the word of the Lord came to the son of, <laughs> not your name. <laughs> All right, verse 2. Arise, put your name here. <laughs> Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Now, if you're not really sure of how the Lord works, it's not like he was leisurely walking around heaven, just thinking about all the neat things he's created, and then all of a sudden, evil popped up in his presence, and he stumbled over it, right? No, our God is keenly aware of everything in our life. He's keenly aware of all the minute details of each of our individual lives, even so much as in Psalm 139, it says that he knows my thoughts even before I speak it. The Lord said in Genesis 6, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the heart, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. David said in Psalm 140, violent men plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. The Lord is aware of the evil happening on the presence of the earth, but as in Genesis, we need to interpret this as we would Genesis 15, where God says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God has given us enough freedoms to do right and unfortunately enough freedoms to do wrong. But he's not going to destroy us or wipe us out because there's some sin in our lives. But there is a point when God says, it's enough. The sins have been completed, and the people need to be shown 
who the Lord is, the one they should serve. The iniquity of the Ninevites had been complete, and they were given one chance, and only one chance. Man, if you had one chance in the world, would you want somebody reluctant (laughs) to come and speak to you? Would you want somebody who could care less about your existence come and tell you that you need to change this or do this or that? Oh, no, you'd want somebody that totally loved you, wouldn't you? Somebody that came and had your best interest in mind? Oh, the poor Ninevites got Jonah. Jonah is the man that God chose to send to him. But never fear, God's in charge. Verse 3, put your name here. But Sean rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Don't get too proud yet. All right, remember, you're Jonah. You've bought your ticket. You're on the ship, and you are the righteous one. You are more righteous than the Ninevites, this wicked and adulterous evil generation, I'm better than that. And yet, I'm going to run from the God who called me. You see, the Lord is sending Jonah to the Assyrians, the city of Nineveh, but he is also sending Hosea, Amos, Micah, and Isaiah to your people, four writing prophets. Why would God send you to a wicked generation, a wicked people in Nineveh, and also send prophets to your people? Because the sin of your own people has come up before the Lord. And he is sending prophets to you and your people to repent. Now Jonah was probably listening to the other prophets around him. Hosea, Amos. They are graphically depicting a people who are more wicked than they are who will bring judgment on them. And as you see this, there's a different spin on Jonah's mission. See, Jonah is being sent to a foreign country. He's being sent to a wicked wicked people. He's being sent to preach the word of the Lord, and he obviously doesn't want to go. Jonah thought, as we probably would be thinking, okay, Tom, where are you, Tom? Tom, (laughs) you've been called to go to Nineveh, and you're probably thinking the same thing Jonah was thinking. No way. (laughs) Oh, Lord, you've got this one wrong. These people won't repent. Do you know what you're requesting of me? I'm out of here. So, Tom, he went down to Joppa and purchased a ticket. One commentary says that um, he probably didn't purchase a ticket. He probably purchased the whole boat. If the boat wasn't going to Tarshish, it is now. Now, let's get our bearings, right? Nineveh is northeast of Israel. Jonah headed south. When he got his ticket, he got on board, and he was heading west. He's heading to Tarshish, which was probably in Spain. And at that time, that is the farthest reaches of the world. It's the end of the earth as far as Jonah knows. And he is going to go flee to the end of the earth, to get away from God's request. What's amazing, mm, what's amazing about this is that uh, Jonah was the only Old Testament prophet specifically sent 
specifically sent. There's other ones that spoke to other nations, but was specifically sent to a foreign country to preach salvation. And he's the only one that's recorded that attempted to run from God. He is running from his assignment to go and make disciples and teach them all that God has commanded. He refused to take the gospel to Nineveh. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Wow. Let me tell you, running from God can be exhausting. If you can fall asleep in a cargo hold and stay asleep in the, one of the greatest storms that ever hit someone's life, you're pretty exhausted. You're pretty worn out from running from God. The thing with running from God is that you can run so far, you know as a child of God, you can't run from his presence, but you can get so far lost in a foreign country and so worn out from running, you may forget your way home and be lost forever. Today, as well as then, there's sailing times. There's seasons when to sail and seasons when not to sail. But especially in ancient times, when they didn't have the equipment and the types of ships we had, there were specific sailing times. And I would venture to guess that this was a good sailing time. That these ships, these are old salts that have been on ships. There's not a bunch of rookies that jump on ships and sail during this time. If you have an apprentice, they're with a bunch of old mariners who know what's going on. So this tempest that overtook them was a total surprise. This tempest and the sheer force of it made those old salts who have been at sea all of their life overcome with great fear. When I was talking with Larry, he made the observation that these men are depending on this cargo for their payday. These men are depending on delivering this cargo for their livelihood, and they're willing. They have so much fear that they're willing to throw their payday overboard. They're willing to throw away their paycheck and their livelihood as well as their reputations for being sailors. That's how much fear overcame them. Then they did what each one of us would do. They cried. They cried out to their gods. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to me, remember, you got to put me there. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah, of course, is metaphorically Israel at this point, and Israel is off course. Israel is meant, is in the crossroads of humanity. It's in the crossroads of ancient of the ancient world, and they're meant to be a beacon of light of the God they serve, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and earth. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. You notice, Jonah's keeping his mouth shut still. He's still keeping his mouth shut. He's not letting on anything. But when the lot falls to you, there's not much you can say now. Come on now. It's a life-threatening storm, 
and men are throwing dice on the deck. My wife said, that's just like a man. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, let me assure you that God has his ultimate plan. He has his ultimate plan of what he wants to do in history. But he's also going to tailor specifically to each individual becoming like his son. Even though God wants a preacher to go to Nineveh, even though that preacher is running, he is still going to tailor that situation to teach Jonah what kind of God he truly is and to accomplish his will at the same time. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? During the ancient times and in this culture, they believed in regional gods. If they can figure out what country you came from, they can pray to that god. If they can figure out what occupation you have, maybe you're in another god's domain and your occupation offends them. Verse 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is clarifying who his God is, the supreme high God that is over everything. He is not contained in a region. He is not a weak, feeble God who is kept in a box, but he is the God over all of the earth, the land and the sea, the God of all creation. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to me, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that I was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because I had told them. Then they said to me, what shall we do to the, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea had grown more tempestuous against them. Let me tell you, when you've run from God, and you're fleeing from him, and you're making new friends, your friends will know that you are fleeing from God. Sitting in a bar, throwing down the suds, the guy you're sitting next to is going to talk to you. And let me tell you, they're going to talk to you about God. I don't know why, but every time I've been around somebody that's been drinking, they want to talk about God. <laughs> Phenomenon. But the thing is, you're sitting next to them, and you are going to be compelled to tell them about the God you serve. Now your friends, even though they know you serve God, they know you're running from them, they're going to help you run. You see this, this tempestuous tempest? Tempestuous tempest. Say that three times fast. This storm has come upon the ship, and the ship is about to break apart. They must know where land is. They're not too far away, and they're going to row against the storm. They're going to help you flee from the God you're fleeing from until they can be resolved that that is an impossibility. You can run, 
You can run, and your friends will help you run. You'll get plenty of help. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Ah, they've helped him run. They've done their best, and they have resolved that you cannot run from this God. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. They took their eyes off of the creation that they feared, and they rightly put it on the creator of the creation, and they feared him greatly. You notice that Jonah, in the midst of all of this, up until this point, a ship is going to break apart, cargo is being lost, men's lives are at stake, and he's standing there, unrepentant. Wow. Even up to this point, he's standing there unrepentant. He's still unwilling to fulfill the assignment that God has given him. He's still mad that God would even give him such an assignment. He was so mad, he was running still. He wanted to get away from the assignment so much that he was willing to die. He was willing to be thrown into the sea and perish. Jonah was a selfish and rebellious prophet. So far as we know in Scripture, the only one of his kind. Or is he? Or is he just like us? At the same time, when Jonah was on his cruise ship, the Lord sent the prophet Hosea to his people. While Jonah was portraying a rebellious people, a rebellious nation, basically us, mankind, right? Hosea was portraying the love of God. Oh, he married a woman, and his woman became a prostitute. His bride left him for foreign gods. And when he went to search for him and found her, when he went to search for her and found her, he found her on the auction block being sold as a prostitute. And he loved her so much. He outbid all the other bidders to bring her home. This is the God that, that, this is the betrayal that our God wants us to see. No matter what our sins and iniquities are, he wants us to turn to him, for he is like Hosea, willing to take his wife back, who had become a prostitute, willing to forgive her and to love her again. God is willing to do that. That's the God that he wants us to see portrayed throughout history. In Matthew 12, sorry, I, I missed a spot here. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. See, in Matthew 12, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and he becomes exasperated with them. That morning, if you look at it chronologically, it's one day where Jesus heals a withered man's hand in a temple. He gives sight and, and hearing to a deaf and blind man in the presence of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come to him and say, hey, show us a sign, Jesus. Wait a minute, we showed you signs. 
That's why I say the greatest sign, the greatest miracle is a changed heart. In Matthew 12, he says, if you would have known me, you would have known that I desire mercy over sacrifices. And the only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah. The Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The difference is here, Jonah is actually an archetype of Christ, but he's an anti-archetype, if you can use that word. He is representing Christ in the opposite way. He is supposed to bring the good news to a people who will repent. He is a rebellious one who doesn't want his assignment, but Jesus said, I chose my assignment. I chose to go to a people like Jonah went to who hated God, a wicked and rebellious people who didn't know him. And Jesus said, I'm willing to go obediently to preach the gospel, to bring the good news. And the sign that will be given isn't just that Jesus will be in a grave for three days and three nights. The sign that will be given is that he is so willing to go. Jonah was so humiliated to go. He was willing to take on the sins of mankind. For all who believe, he's willing to take on your sins and be humiliated by your sins. To die on that cross for us. To bring a peace with God for us. And then, after being in the tomb, in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, he was risen from the grave. That's the exertion spoken about in Romans 1.16, the exertion of God, bringing Christ back to life. In Jonah, Nineveh, we have a corrupt and wicked people. But you know what? They repented at the slightest preaching from a reluctant prophet. Even they could distinguish the word of God. Jesus wasn't accepted. Even though he preached to a sinful people, even a people who should know his name, he was rejected. He said to the, to the Pharisees, there is a prophet among you right now in your presence that is greater than a prophet Jonah. The question to me that the chapter begs is, are you here today running from the Lord? Are you here today and you've decided that escaping from the Lord is drugs or alcohol? Maybe you've decided that escaping from the Lord, the Lord has called you maybe to teach a children's church class. And you've run from your call. Are you tired of running yet? Are you tired of running? The Lord said, I sent Jesus Christ to refresh you, to fill you full of living waters. I've sent him to call you to the God who loves your soul, who has a plan for your life, a plan to make you like his son. He loves you. He's calling you to come home. Come home. Recognize the sign of Jonah in Christ that he not only went to preach the good news that God loves us, but that he sacrificed his own life 
to pay the price for our sins. We're going to have a song right now, and afterwards, if you'd like to come up for any kind of prayer, any kind of prayer, come up and meet us up front, and we'll pray with you.